the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. One of the things that I'm seeing is things change. And now you're saying, whoa, that's heavy, Rob. Bay Area residents, the California dream. I grew up on the East Coast and in a military family, so I grew up a lot in Europe. And uh, at one point in time, when I was like eight or nine, one of my friends moved to Sacramento. And I was like, I was heartbroken because this was pre-internet. This was pre, you know, I'd have to write letters and that wasn't going to happen. Wow. So California has always had a mystical image to me, a glow, an aura. I remember growing up playing Atari games. I'm like, Atari's in Silicon Valley? Now keep in mind there's a big difference between Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley. One's in Southern no. California, one's in Northern California. I want the Northern California one. I always had a dream about moving out, and ultimately I did. And I got a house, and it's gone up and up and up and up in value. Rents have gone up and up and up and up in costs. And every time I go to lunch now, I'll ask the waiter or the bartender, I'm like, how do you afford this? I live in San Carlos, and uh, typically the answer I'm getting is I live with my parents. I'm like, and I'm a DJ in San Francisco, so I work at nights. I'm like, you're 31 years old. There's no, like, you're not saving money, are you? And nope is the answer there. I'm like, why didn't you move? He's like, well, all my friends are. To give you another story here, um, there's a guy that works with New Focus. Uh, For lack of a better name, we'll call him Mark. He makes six figures, probably 200K plus. And his girlfriend makes six figures, probably 200K plus. And they live in an apartment complex. And it was a great idea at one point in time. And it's totally affordable. They they don't want to buy a home here. They feel it's too prohibitive. Um, so they're, they're, they're kind of like living large and, you know, keeping their costs down, you know, to buy a home now, a million dollar home, you're, you're throwing on $16,000 of your money per year for property taxes. Not that much, but depends on what you're buying. It could be, um, it's prohibitive. A young person should say, Hey, I want my $16,000 to go to my 401k or my retirement or something else. So he said 15 years ago when he moved out here, he moved out here after college with all his buddies, all of his buddies have moved back to the East coast. Here to talk a little bit about that, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's the guy who does my mortgage. He's putting together a mortgage now for me. Yes, I'm on the market. Oh, I didn't hear him. Let's turn on his microphone. There Good morning. There it is. There it is. As soon as he taps it with his finger, yeah, on it comes. Anyhow, it's, it's the magic of KDOW. Magic microphones. You just have to magic, tap them. Magic mic. There we go. So, Tony, um, you're putting together a loan for me. Silicon Valley, it's changed. Um, San Mateo, it's changed a lot. Um, it's funny because I live in San Carlos and everyone's like, well, at least you're not Redwood City. 
uh, Redwood City's changed a lot. And when I was looking at homes, you know, uh, eight years, nine years ago to buy, it was funny because Redwood City had a very um, Spanish feel to it. Uh, lower cost homes. That's where a lot of the workers of the Bay Area were living in between Palo Alto and San Carlos and Mountain View and uh, Menlo Park. And they're being pushed out, gentrified, so to speak, Yeah, the, by the, the uppies. The peninsula is getting tapped out. You were talking about Mark and how he, you know, he lives in an apartment and he's prohib- prohibitive. My microphone works. That's fine by me. Um, but you're talking about Mark? Yeah, so he's he's going to take the convenience of living in the peninsula because that's where his work is, and he'll rent. And I think it would make a lot of sense for for you know his friends. You talked about how his friends have left the area, and a lot of people are doing that because uh, the rents are too high. But if we had lower rents and a little bit more affordable affordable housing, it would make a lot of sense. But we're seeing that all across the whole Bay Area. Rob, uh, places that 10, 15 years ago when you first moved here or when a lot of people first moved here when they were younger uh, have seen these things change. And uh, a, a duplex in West Oakland is now $1.2, $1.3 million, where that used to be a strategy where a lot of people say, you know, I really can't afford to buy a house. I'll buy a duplex and rent the other half. And now they're $1.2, $1.4. Uh, and, the, you know, there's a little scare right now with rates going up. I think that that's something that you know, is going to affect affordability. We know that. Um, I ran some numbers. It's another 6% increase in your payment. Just what happened over the last, you know, two or three months. So we're seeing a lot of things change and um, you, you start looking at a, a possible exodus. California leads the nation in, in what they call um, outflow of residents, even though it, we, we get about the same amount of people coming in as, as we are leaving. Uh, it is going to start affecting you. I see this as a just a it's just flushing the system. Uh, the people who are staying or can afford the people who are leaving can't. Yeah, and I see it as a degradation of society when teachers can't afford to live in the cities that they teach and when police officers can't when firefighters buy a place in Tahoe and come for their work shift three days here, four days there, three days here, four days there. Um, I see it as a, a problem, not as a flushing of the system. Um, the median price in December for a single family home in Santa Clara was uh, $1.4 million, Alameda $838,000, Sacramento $314,000, more than half. And uh, it's funny because I was talking to a a real estate agent in Tahoe, and he goes, all you guys buy second houses up here and you pay property taxes on them. And then you go home and take your kids to school on the peninsula or in Alameda or wherever you're you're putting your kids. And he goes, we love you. (laughs) Like you're paying property taxes up here for our schools and then you're not using them, so... You know, they've got school classes of sometimes 20 graduating, and they're getting our property taxes, which yeah. is pretty interesting. I think Sacramento leads the Bay Area as far as their destination. But there's other places like Seattle, Portland, Colorado, Las Vegas, San Antonio. Uh, Texas is getting a lot of activity. A lot think, of activity. I think people like the, the same kind of weather, uh, so they move to places like Texas. So our population continues to grow, but the exodus of native Californians, of people who have been here a long time, are leaving. Um, so people are leaving Silicon Valley nearly as quickly as they're coming in. The region gained 44,000 immigrants, but lost 44,000 residents to other parts of the country. Population drops have been um, large between the ages of 18 and 24 and 45 and 64. It's an area where I'll ask a bartender. I'm like, do you think my kids will ever be able to live here? Um, because the bartender is typically like 21, 25, 27. And, you know, my kids are under 10. And he's like, no way. 
you know, there's just not jobs. And like if you meet someone on Tinder or something like that, they probably are living with their mom and dad uh, if they're on the younger side or their parents left them the house or they've got four or five roommates. We'll talk about this and more where are people going, what you should do, what interest rates moving higher means for your home value. A 10-year treasury, it's going to make your mortgage cost more money if you've got a short-term arm. Is now the time to lock something in for something else? Consider it. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. We've got a big event coming up in San Mateo. It's uh, coming up very, very soon. Um, March 8th, 6.30 to 8.30. You can sign up for the event at the Crown Plaza, Foster City. Not San Mateo, but it is San Mateo County. At robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. It's pretty crazy what we're looking at with California wildfires in 2017 being a year of, again, disaster after disaster. And sadly, I think we as a nation didn't have a very short-term memory on some of our gun violence that is just random and mass shootings to some of our disasters, whether they be hurricanes or floods or tornadoes, uh, whether they be terrorism and or wildfires. Uh, We tend to be very short-sighted and and never prepared or ill-prepared, to say the least. Sometimes we don't feel the ramifications that are going to play out. Uh, The best thing you do is try to learn from scenarios as they're presented to you. Um, I've learned more on a regular basis on stocks from listening to you and watching you make mistakes and asking questions that you ask, uh, trying to see like what, where your pulse is. Um, I think it's, it's pretty good to echo back to 1987 and think about a funny thing happened 30 years ago and i just talked a lot about the horror that was black monday and what a lot of people you know forget it was kind of a disaster people died and you know the venerable dow jones industrial average fell 22.6 percent in one day and that wasn't supposed to happen we've now got a system that puts brakes on scenarios like that and after 9-11 i remember a lot of people panicked and they wanted to sell because they thought it was the beginning of the end of the retail consumer and I'll never be able to go to a mall again. So crashes are scary things. And whether they be car crashes or stock market crashes, um, it doesn't take a lot to go back and remember, you know, what people were feeling, you know, behind the scenes, banks were nervous. They were pulling lines of credit from people in the market on a pretty regular basis. Uh, the Federal Reserve on Tuesday, the day after Black Money, encouraged banks to reopen their lines of credit because they saw it not bad behavior, but they saw it, you're going to make things worse. Um, do you make credit more available when things are crashing? Do you make credit less available? To make it less available and call on credit basically snowballs the effect, even though you're thinking you're protecting what you're doing is making the problem worse. Stocks eventually you know, will get into plus territory in a worst case scenario. And, you know, again, some of the people that you can go Google, uh, Abby Joseph Cohen, Mark Faber, um, Art Cashin, these are all people over 65 years old who lived through a crash and, you know, steered their ships well through it. 
And I remember Black Monday, I was way too young to actually be working in Wall Street at this point in time, but I remember seeing the headlines. And again, it's a lot like 9-11 or, you know, my parents were eating hot dogs when Kennedy was assassinated and they never ate hot dogs again. Um, just going to show you how sometimes you do remember things. Abby Joseph Cohen remembers having not eaten dinner that day on Black Monday and working till midnight. Um, and then, you know, working in New York City, you walk by newsstands all the time. And when you walk by a newsstand to get, you know, a bite to eat or get a newspaper, all the candy bars, all the chips, everything was sold out, she said. So people who were working on Wall Street walked out the building, grabbed a bite, walked back into the building to work. Because that ability to be ready served as a source of liquidity. It served as support for the economic and financial system. So there are you know, things that are a lot more sanguine now that we look back on and, and we forget, like, whoa, there were days when people actually you know, uh, stayed at work, kind of locked themselves in to help you know, fix the problems and help people get through it. Because people were calling their stockbrokers you know, late at night. Um, so there was a lot of crying, uh, there's a lot of triage, there's a lot of chaos. Um, you know, the yelling gives away pretty fast when you're a professional, the triage and the crying, you know, crying goes away and you start fixing things. So I know a lot of people and I hear it here on a regular basis and whether it be on radio or TV, I'll hear commercials that like, you know, the stock market's scary. And anyone who runs a commercial that says the stock market's scary, I'll put my wealth up against your wealth. I'll put my career up against yours. I'll put my social security statement up against yours. And I'll, I'll put how much money was made inside the market versus how much money you took from people in commissions and fear-based decisions. Anyone who wants to challenge me on that one, I'll throw down $10,000. I'll throw down $100,000. I'll throw down a million dollars for charity. Whatever the game is you want to play, there's people out there who will like go back to Black Monday and go, uh, look, a crash is coming. It's right around the corner. Dun, dun, dun. That's why you should buy the five levels of real estate investing with me on, on how you could cash flow and how you can save and, and make millions. Anyone who runs a commercial based on fear, I'll put my money up against yours. Anyone. Uh... Because A, that's the kind of guy I am, and B, I know they're, they're not going to hold up to any sort of test of, of discipline. Just worthy of note, in my opinion. Just worthy of note. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Don't be fearful. Yes, there's going to be bad days out there. Yes, there's going to be bad years. It's pretty normal and pretty healthy. So if you have a good time frame, I think you'll be a-okay. Hot stocks. Or a lot like hot pants, where yeah, they come and go in style pretty quickly. Then there's like the idea of like consumer staple stocks that are going to be around for years and years and years. And you can say, well, there's going to be companies like, or there's going to be countries like India as they create more of a middle class, or China creates more of a middle class. They're very likely to drink Coca Cola as a, a refreshing break. So there's going to be stories and, and, and ways to invest a lot like that, where. Well, we're creating more jobs, and as people have paychecks, they like to go on vacation. Or, you know, I think that the, the easy thing is that they like to eat cheese as they make money. They like to brush their teeth. They like to use deodorant. They like to drink Coca-Cola. 
Um, they like to have a cigarette break. So you can, they like a glass of wine when they get home. Uh, a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So it's Coca-Cola or Colgate or Mondelez or Danone or Philip Morris or Diageo or Unilever. There's ways to, you know, say, okay, I don't need the hot stock. I need the hot trend over time. So the hot trend over time is maybe a demographic story that you're buying into. Um, or you could say, you know, hey, biotech. Back in 2016, when everyone was running for president, I remember these guys got schwacked. Schwacked is a term that you basically pull a golf club out of your golf bag and you hit something with it. You schwack it. I like the way you be, say that. It could be Robert De Niro schwacking someone's head with a golf club for disobeying his mafia-driven motifs. Or it could be, you know, the idea of politicians going, I need your vote. Who am I going to throw under the bus today? I'm going to throw biotech stocks under the bus. And that can be opportunity. It does knock. Um, and it came knocking in the 2016, 11, uh, 2016 election cycle. It was Bernie Sanders. It was Hillary Clinton. And it was Donald Trump. And, you know, sometimes you get poster boys of, like, bad doing on biotech or pharmaceuticals that, you know, charge too much. So you need to kind of know the players in biotech that you want to own so that when opportunity knocks and these guys get hit due to political motives of trying to get votes, uh, you're ready for a Regeneron or a Gilead. You're ready for a BioVeritif. And the funniest thing you could ever do, if you ever want to do this, is challenge me to a game of saying biotech names or drug pharmaceutical products. Um, I am so bad at it. I am so bad at it. But biotech's a great long-term trend because we as a nation want to grow hair on our head. We as a nation want to stop the pain of arthritis and the humility that we don't have, the vanity that we appeal to with aging. So you look at a Gilead and a Biogen, and you start adding names to your portfolio ideas so that when they get hit, you can be opportunistic and get into that sector. Amgen or Alexian, or maybe you just go, you know what, Rob, I believe in biotech. Um, one of my friends is a biochemist. I've got this out there on a pretty you know, large scale thought that the Bay Area is filled with a lot of geniuses, right? And I can't tell the difference between my friend from Norway who's trying to figure out cancer to my friend from Finland trying to figure out cancer to my friend from Argentina trying to figure out cancer. So I should invest in all three of them in my head. And that would be like an, uh, a spider S&P biotech ETF XBI. And I could take a look at that 10-year history or the five-year history and go yes or no. And I tend to like sectors when they underperform. I tend to like stocks when they outperform. So digest that for a second. So if I don't like this S&P, the spider biotech index XBI, maybe I'll take a look at the IBB which is the iShares NASDAQ Biotech Index. And if I say, you know, I want more risk than that, I could start with those names, those ETFs and indices, and look at their holdings and look for individual stocks. But anyway, opportunity comes knocking. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I'm here. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or kdow.biz. And don't forget. 
Fortnite replay at 7. So I grew up in a world of Jason Voorhees. Chill, 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 chill. No, 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 no. Kill, 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 kill. I grew up with a little Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees. Who are these people? Come on, you know. Little Mike Myers. I was pre-torture movies. I was pre-Saw films. They never appealed to me. And when I got into Wall Street and Friday the 13th met Wall Street, it was truly scary. 30 years ago today, children still talk about it. It was October 19, 1987. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 25% of its value in one day. Children, tell your children about Black Monday. It was a day where traders and investors lost one quarter their worth in a day. No one in living memory has seen anything like it. Never, ever. And it's only told about and talked about in whispers now. The postmortems conducted trying to understand how the Dow managed to drop 508 points in one day. They couldn't figure it out. The so-called portfolio insurance, a quantitative tool which was designed to use futures to protect against market losses. Instead, it created a poisonous feedback loop. We had the solution to fix evil, and that solution was evil itself. We basically figured out a way to stop a market crash that created a market crash. Now the proliferation of computer-driven investing has created an illusion, as Doug Henning would say. It's an illusion. It's created a ton of risk that can be measured and managed. And shifting into real voice, there's, you know, it was 30 years ago that we had Black Monday. And you look at the calendar this year and you see October. And October's got Black Monday in it. It was the third Monday of the month. It was kind of the dawn of... <clears throat> I, I'll say it right now. CNBC. It was kind of the dawn of... It opened the door for people like me. Where we started talking financial news as news. Because up until then it was pretty boring. And it, it took, you know... 67 years, well, 55 years, roughly, to kind of get us back into that mode set that Wall Street had really dark times and people would jump out windows. So as a financial person, working on the first floor always has its advantages. There's never a day that kind of bad. So we've since heard of not just Black Monday, where we lost 25%. So imagine your portfolio is worth $1 million, and suddenly at the end of the day it's worth 750000 that's a lot of money for people that they panicked. We've had something called the flash crash back in 2007, 2008, where the market dropped 7% in the middle of the afternoon. We had flash crash too back in 2015. And that lasted for a couple days overnight, kind of, it kind of went around the globe. And we saw, you know, huge chasms of what we thought could happen versus what did happen between stocks and ETFs and the ETFs that own them. Um, Brazil once was battered. They weren't fried, but they were battered. The Brazil index once crashed 19% in a single day. 
Can you imagine a whole market down 19 freaking fragging percent in one day? Um, I can't give you a, a comparative. It would be like your house going down 19% in a day, right? Back in 2014, we had the Treasury Tantrum. And I love people who are prone to tantrums because they are damn entertaining to watch, especially if they do it in public. So Treasury Tantrums are kind of important, where the 10-year Treasury went from basically 2.15% all the way down to 1.85% in a day. And you're like, whoa. And that was real. So there's an increasing amount of money in the stock markets worldwide and not just domestically. And it's all devoted to rules-based investing. Quantitative strategies now account for about $933 billion, which are just making decisions on mathematics. It's not on earnings. It's not on interest rates. It's just on mathematics. Now, in 2007, that number was about $499 billion. So more and more is going into calculator-driven decisions that don't really take into account anything other than short-term profits and short-term risk management, and that tends to snowball itself. And if you go way back in the 1980s, if you wanted to place a trade, you know, you picked up a phone and you called your broker, and your broker would put you on hold, and then he'd ring up, he'd go, you'd call him up and you'd say, hey, Joe. Um, I heard a hot tip to buy shares of this company called Digital Computer. And Joe's like, well, as a stockbroker, I should be hearing the hot tips, not my customers. But let me call my specialist. I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. So he'd call a specialist. And a specialist are these people who are, you know, uh, basically make creating bids and asks and uh, trying to figure out what a stock should be priced at. They're trying to match buyers and sellers. And that person in charge of basically running trade in, in any given stock, sometimes they'd manage up to seven, eight, nine stocks, and that trade would be executed. The process was slow, was cumbersome, it was inefficient. So to get that kind of panic, it took a lot of phone calls. Computer technology wasn't advanced then, but it did advance. The machines grew to rise, as Sarah Connell once predicted. Machines gradually took most of these steps out of the hands of humans, and we did it gleefully. Today, nearly every trade is handled by an algorithm of some sort. It's placed by a computer. It's executed by computers interacting with each other. So Black Monday can and will happen again. We will have a bad day. I always think of robots as blenders. I don't know why. Robot uh, but parade. parade. Robot parade. parade. That's, they might be giants. So mistakes happen with the way humans interact with algorithms. For instance, in 1998, there was a group of quants at long-term capital management. They were led by a Nobel Prize winner, Robert Merton and Myron Scholes. Anyone named Myron, I never trust. And they caused a massive market sell-off when the hedge fund's highly leveraged trades based on quantitative models started to lose and, and basically meet unexpected market behavior. And they lost a ton of money in Russia because Russia defaulted on their debt. And that started just this massive snowballing because of leverage. Leverage is a bad thing on the way down. Leverage when you own a home and you take money out of home to buy another home and you take money out of it, it's great on the way up. But when it goes down, you go bankrupt. So welcome to the 30th anniversary of Black, Black, Black Monday. It's not that scary, is it? It's all computer driven. Until you actually go through one, 
that's when you start staining some underwear. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, invested, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. The ranking of the highest grossing concert tours in Billboard history. History. It's pretty unaltered year to over year. But last year, you saw two new entries, and they jumped high. Coldplay, who you're hearing right now, jumped to number three overall with a gross of $523 million from its Head Full of Dreams tour. After I had a run of basically a year and a half, I think they came to the Bay Area twice. <laughs> like, I think we'll do a little thing called the Super Bowl and get a lot of people eyeballing us, and then we'll go around the world and make a lot of money. Pull out the rakes. Now you understand why the NFL wants the acts to pay them. Total of 5.4 million tickets were sold during a five-continent trek that launched at the end of March 2016. It hit stadiums worldwide, 114 sold-out performances in 83 venues, 13 of which topped 10 million in sales from multiple show runs. Not too shabby. Now, Coldplay's at seven albums. They may not be your cup of tea. But you got to have some respect for who jumped up to number four on that list. Guns N' Roses hit the all-time tour list at four. Didn't they break up like 20 years ago? They had a $475 million overall gross from 123 headlining performances on its five-continent trek. That's still ongoing. With the end of the band's 2017 touring schedule in November, more than 4.3 million tickets have been sold. Not in this lifetime. That was the name of the tour. Guns N' Roses also made festival appearances during both years of the tour, beginning with a headlining slot at Coachella in April 2016. Uh, Axel actually showed up, which is pretty darn crazy. Now, let's take a look at the tours that had the biggest box office history run. Cirque du Soleil's Mike Jackson from 2011-2014, right there at $360 million. The police come in at number nine, the reunion tour. Pulled in $362 million. Vertigo by U2 was number eight, $389 million. Madonna, Sticky and Sweet, $408 million. ACDC, Black Ice, Fire! $441 million back in 2008. Roger Waters, The Wall Live, pulled in $459 million over three years. Guns N' Roses, I just talked about, $475. Coldplay, $523 million. The top grossing tours of all time, Rolling Stones, A Bigger Bang, 2005 to 2007, $558 million. And U2, the 360 tour, pulled in the number one spot with $736 million from 2009 to 2011. Not too shabby. Microsoft president Brad Smith has talked a lot about the future in a new book. It's called The Future Computed. I just finished it. It's fantastic. Um, And it talks about the future and artificial intelligence and our personal digital assistants and how they're going to be integrated into our life, kind of as an alter ego. It says 20 years from now, your digital assistant goes through your calendar and talks to your other electronic devices to plan your day while you sleep. It may tell your car, hey, you better go get gas because he's running late. With an eye on your sleep cycle, it wakes you up at a time, which is you're going to feel the most refreshed within a window of time you've previously approved. 
So 20 years from now, you're going to have a digital assistant that looks at your sleep cycle while you're sleeping. It's going to jump into your calendar and go, oh, no, he forgot an appointment. He's oversleeping. Wake him up. As you get ready, your assistant reads you the news, reports, social media activity, that it's determined to be the most of interest to you. Apple is said to be developing this technology right now for its HomePod, which is going to be a big speaker. So and it's going to say, Siri, read me the news. So it's going to read news, reports, social media activity. That's the most important to you. I would love that because I'm pretty routine, right? A digital assistant can figure me out. There's very few days where I'm like, hey, I want to know about the Warriors. I want to know about the Giants. I want to know about the Sharks. I, do, I, I don't want to know about the Capitals. I don't want to know about the uh, Mavericks. I rarely stray. It'll update you on your weather, your upcoming meetings, and people you see that day and suggest the best time to leave the house based on traffic. We're starting to see some of that there. When I pull out my phone, I get ready to get in my car. It knows that I'm either going to San Francisco or Fremont or the gym. Those are the only places I go. Sometimes I go home. Your first meeting of the day will be with an international team and held remotely before you leave the office. You put on a pair of mixed reality glasses. You greet your colleagues. You appear before them in a virtual boardroom. You all put in an earpiece so that the, each side's language is automatically translated for the other without lag. We're already starting to see some of that. Google came out with some earpieces last year that have gotten mixed reviews, but mostly pretty good. Your sister's coming into town. It books a restaurant for you before you stop and think about it. You got Valentine's Day on the calendar? You forgot? Oh, it, it's got you covered. It'll summarize discussions for you. You know, the board meeting one, I don't know if I'll ever have international contacts. I Seriously, I want less than more right now. I'd rather have a lake than a flight to China. But it's also something that it's it's... Chad and I run a, a meeting with uh, the team up in Oregon, Washington, and tied together to California. And he uses um, go to meeting, and I'm like, that doesn't work really well because when you're all in one room and you cackle and tell a joke, none of us can hear or see what's funny, and now none of us can hear the point. While you work on your presentation, your assistant offers supplementary information about the topic you're focused on. It's a pretty good book. I highly recommend. Um, Harry Shum, S-H-U-M, S-H-U-M. Um, I think you'll get a lot of, of read pleasure at the future computed. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.